All right, so um, before we get started, uh, how many people have been in the workshop or one of the other presentations before? Okay, so some of this is uh, repeat content, but it looks like for the majority of you, this will be new. So I just wanted to kind of get a level set. We'll see how fast we'll go through it. So this is, um, my name is Kyle Roach. Um, I'm the general manager for Amazon Sumerian. Uh, before that, I ran the IoT group uh, at AWS, so I've been here for a couple years. Um, this is the deep dive session. So we're going to kind of breeze through a lot of the overview material and just kind of get into some of the fun stuff. Um, and at the end, we'll try a couple different demos. Uh, one of the demos we're going to try, this is untested, which is pretty awesome, but uh, I'm going to try to tweet out a scene URL and, and anyone who has a laptop, this won't run on mobile, but we can all open it and we'll see if we can get them all to synchronize and move at the same time. So we'll kind of do a quick multiplayer test. And again, it's preview service. We're going to try it uh, for the first time right here. So we'll see how that goes. Um, <clears throat> So I thought, you know, we'd talk kind of super briefly on, you know, why we built Sumerian. Uh, we'll fly through the IDE. A lot of this was in the overview session, so I don't want to spend too much time there. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the hosts and how they work. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper on the hosts and how the animation layers are set up. Uh, some of the tooling that it would, you know, kind of takes to get to get these characters done. So you can kind of see what goes into the system that we're, uh, we're providing the customers for free. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about events. We'll do this briefly and then kind of more of this on a live demo. So. Basically, the two types of events you can get into a scene are objects to objects within a scene, or we can use AWS IoT over WebSocket to kind of connect multiple scenes together. And that's what we'll, we'll try live if, uh, if everyone's into that. Um, we're going to do a quick sort of run through on how to move animations that are already in an FBX file into the scene. I've already imported it for you, so it's sitting there, but we'll show you what the animations look like on the other end and how to tie those together. Uh, and then I'm going to post this on Twitter, the URL. So that's my Twitter tag. If, if um, anyone is going to follow along in the, on the, uh, the browser, just make sure you're using your, your laptop, not your phone. So we can try the phone, but it probably won't load in time. It's, it's pretty slow on the phone. So cool. OK, so Amazon Tumerian. Amazon Tumerian was launched this Sunday at uh, Midnight Madness. Uh, we released in limited preview. Uh, it is in six different regions. So you know more will be coming quickly. But um, basically, the service itself kind of feels like a global service. You log in, we'll click or we'll select the closest region for you, and then we'll anchor your 3D objects there. Uh, you can just change the URL parameter to, to move it to any of the other supported regions though, if you want. So we're in US East, uh, US West, uh, US East 2, London, Dublin, and Sydney. So Cool. So Amazon Sumerian is an in-browser 3D editor designed specifically for WebGL. So the idea here is that this is a way to give JavaScript, web, and mobile programmers a way to create 3D scenes, get them into AR and VR easily. Um, we've added a character system, which we'll talk about a little bit later. There's a visual state machine. So everything is pretty much doable with point and click um, configuration. If you do want to dive in, it's just JavaScript. And it's, it's pretty trivial, trivial even at that, at that point. So even what we'll do today is we'll connect to the AWS IoT WebSocket service. We'll take something from a shadow, and we'll move an object in the 3D scene uh, in conjunction with the shadow data. And it's like six lines of code, so it's, it's pretty simple. Cool. Um, I'm going to just breeze through some of this overview material. So the training content, there's something like 30 to 40 um, different tutorials online. They dive from everything from materials to importing from uh, FBX files to animations to connecting to IoT. So lots of stuff you can learn um, while you're, you're kind of getting through the, the preview queue. Um, you can kind of look through the documentation. So all that's up on the website. All right, so when you do log in, um, you're presented with a set of templates. We showed this preview uh, Sunday night, too. This is kind of an example of one of them. Uh, it's just basically a, a big industrial warehouse scene. You can cut it up, use little pieces of it if you want. There's a conference room in there, which is pretty cool. It's made out of a container. 
um, you know, conveyor belts, things like that. There's a training room available. There's um, like a, a bunch of sort of starter scenes that are just basically conference rooms with glass walls around them. So things you can kind of use to get a, a visually visual start on, on the scene creation. So one of the things that um, we found after that was, you know, if we're moving a web and mobile programmer that's familiar with JavaScript, maybe not familiar with artwork into 3D development, uh, even if we give them a scene, it's very hard to still kind of create something appealing around that or within the scene. So we've been working with the retail side of Amazon to pull in uh, 3D objects from the site. So Amazon in general, we're working on obviously scanning um, furniture, you know, volumetric scanning, also cleaning those up. We're making a lot of these models ourselves. So the ones that do make it through the pipeline in good enough quality, we're going to try to get through to the tool here. So you can pull them into your scene. Uh, we tag them with what's called the ASIN. That's the identifier on the retail site. Um, and then as a content developer, uh, referral traffic can earn you referral fees. So you know, up to 10% on some different products. So it's, it's kind of a, a good way to monetize a you know, publicly available 3D demo. So cool. So it doesn't look quite as magical as this. but. Um, this is kind of the, the idea. Is the same exact uh, 3D model that you see on the website uh, will have that available in the content library that you can pull into your scene and use. So, so when you publish it, uh, we'll give you kind of a cart URL so your customers can pull stuff up. So if you're looking at like you know creating a, a living room or creating an interior design setup or something like that, you can you know feed the whole cart back to the customer to kind of see what see what was created in the scene. So cool. Okay. So let's walk through the editor a little bit. On the left, um, as you would expect, there's kind of an entities panel. This is the hierarchy of your project. Uh, so everything that you've dragged and dropped into the scene uh, will be available there. Uh, on the bottom side, you have this kind of asset window. So some things can be available to the project and maybe not part of this scene yet. Uh, so you could have other scripts there, backup things, or just uh, FBX files you've imported, or the 3D objects. So all those live in that bottom left corner. You can drag them from there right into the scene. You have the 3D canvas, um, so this kind of looks at the entire 3D world, sets up your, your layout for the characters, there's all this you know, sort of transform stuff that you would see in any other 3D editor. You can move things around, rotate it, scale them up and down, stuff like that. Pretty simple. Um, as you select an object in the canvas or in the entities panel, on the right side you're getting context information about that, so it will, will let you kind of add more things here. So this is where you start to attach things, like I want to attach a state machine to an object. State machine can drive behavior on that particular object. You can have multiple ones of those sitting there. They can listen for different inputs like uh, key press, you know, key up, key down, or you know, inbound events from a, uh, like a, an emitted message, which I'll show you today, uh, or drive animations, things like that. So, cool. And then uh, this, is, you know, VR is sort of hard to demo on stage and kind of impractical. And I'm also using a Mac, so it's not really great. But um, if you are on Windows um, and you have Oculus set up or you have Vive set up uh, and you're in a supported browser, when you click on that button, it'll take the whole scene into WebVR. So you can jump back and forth between, uh, between you know, sort of browser development and previewing your scene in, in VR as well. And so this button will translate through to the publish scene also. So when you do publish it, your customers can jump right in. <clears throat> cool, so the visual state machine, this is kind of the piece that we were talking about um, earlier. This is kind of how you do most of the logic in the scene. So you should be able to grab um, inbound actions or events and then trigger behavior um, and sort of chain these together. So this is, you know, like I said, managing state all the way through um, some sort of path and you can loop them back the other way. So in this particular example on, on this bottom right one we have on script end, it goes back to this wait period. On script error, it goes back to the wait period. So it's just running this loop constantly. And you can set these up all throughout the scene. 
Now, if you want to customize them, this is you know an in-browser editor basically for JavaScript. So you can jump in and kind of add some more logic to it yourself. Uh, there's a couple in there that you can you know see it in the tutorials that we've set up for you if you want like a pattern. Uh, we also, when you do a new script, we'll give you the templates on how the sort of engine works. So all the physics updates and things like that, and that's just kind of where you can just drop, drop your code. So. Cool. So one thing we're going to, I'm not going to run this today, but we're going to use it in the demo. Um, on one of our tutorials, we set up uh, Amazon Cognito. So our AWS Cognito, or I don't know, actually, which one is that? It's Amazon Cognito. Uh, we set it up uh, with a CloudFormation stack. So basically, the idea is that when your scene's public, um, or if you gate it with some sort of authentication scheme on your own, we need to know in what context you want those events to run within AWS land, right? So uh, Cognito provides unauthenticated, um, unauthenticated users through an identity pool. So you can basically make a public scene that um, people can get. It'll give them credentials while they're running it. Um, and then they can invoke actions that you give them through, through roles and policies. So, so we set up a couple basic templates. The one we're going to use today gives the scene public permissions to listen on a WebSocket. And then we'll publish um, using AWS IoT to send, that, to send the event back to the running scene. So this is, you know, th these are obviously all controlled by you. It's su super granular, but um, we just thought it was easier to kind of get a couple templates in place. So there's one for poly, there's one for, you know, voice animation stuff too. So you can change these as you like. Um, so I, I showed this yesterday, and this was part of the keynote there too. But uh, the idea is that any the, the development cycle, we wanted to kind of pair as close as we could between VR and AR. So you can set these scenes up um, and develop them all the same with the state machine, with the coding, uh, and then deploy it to uh, iOS and use ARKit for the local tracking, but have the same exact scene that you built that you could have ran you know, in Oculus or Vive. So since this is a deep dive, I was just going to show you kind of quickly what that looks like. Um, this, you don't really have to read it because there's really only one line. But this, this line right here uh, is the scene URL. So when you publish your scene, you can grab this code off of GitHub. Uh, you swap out that one URL, and then you can build, you can build for ARKit. So we'll handle all the camera transitions, all the talking back and forth between the IMU and the, and the scene that's running too. So that's, that's literally all you have to do to kind of get it, get it into, into AR. All right, so let me talk a little bit more about Sumerian hosts. So Sumerian hosts, um, the idea is that you're, you're immersed in VR, your, your hands are sort of occupied with the controller, things like that. Um, a lot of our customers are already looking at uh, deploying scenes to TVs that have uh, webcam attached. So we want to be able to recognize the environment in which the, the scenes are deployed. We want to be able to talk to the user. We want the, you know, the user to be able to talk back to us. So we've sort of personified this grouping of Amazon Recognition, uh, Amazon Lex, and Poly. Uh, to give, you know, uh, let's take the digital signage example, for, for instance. The character can um, talk to a user, make eye contact, follow them back and forth around the screen, uh, and then listen and talk back and forth and have a whole conversation. So the idea behind Host was to really provide like an immersive sort of guide or partner throughout the, the VR experience. And I'm going to breeze through this because we covered it in the overview, but this is kind of the steps it takes to get a character into, into the development pipeline. So there's about six main sort of skills that, um, uh, that you have on a team to kind of get a character done, uh, starting with the concept artist. So the, the art we're using here is actually our concept art for some of our, ne our next forthcoming characters. Um, let's see here. Okay. So um, you have the, the concept artist basically looks at um, all the sentiment that we can get from Polly. So what are possible ways that we can represent emotion through a character? You know, um, how, how can they look angry? How can they look sad? And, you know, uh, 
basically match all the possible things that you could be sending us through SSML. And then we talk to customers about, you know, what type of professions do you want, we want these characters to be in? What type of ethnic backgrounds do we need? Um, and, you know, we start to look at what can we give you uh, the ability to customize? Like, you know, is it the uniforms or the coloring of the clothing or something like that? So, so the concept artist kind of walks us through all the different possibilities that, that we should be considering. So once that's approved, we get into the character modeling. So they basically sculpt the character, you know, give it weight and mass. Um, right now we're using two different forms, a female and a male form. Uh, we'll eventually sort of probably branch that out, but you, you can get pretty pretty broad in the customizations with just, just the two that we have. So after that, we start to look at basically the rigging and the skeleton that, that forms the character and, and lets us move that geometry in 3D space. Um, so this is a, a separate person who's basically taking this, you know, doing a lot of work in their own professional tooling, and then you know, we're, we have tech artists that start to move this into the actual engine. Um, so this is, this is a very complicated process. You have to animate everything, and we're going to show you all the different layers today. But animate everything from like eyelids to eye movement to you know digits and things like that. So it's a, it's a lot, a lot of work, um, but pretty cool stuff in the end. So I've, I've done this video twice. So I feel like this is going to get redundant, but it's really cool. So I'm going to totally do it again. Um, and I'm up here, and you're there, so I get to do what I want. The uh, animation, um, the animation uh, is pretty awesome. So once we get to this point in the development cycle, we can start to use motion capture with real humans to kind of look at other types of movement that we want to introduce to the characters. So you know, we spend you know hours and hours with actors um, that are wired up with infrared sensors. Then they do like basic day-to-day -day tasks, so things that you might want in your application, like sit down, stand up, walk over here, pick this up, put this down. Uh, and then you know, when we get bored at the end of the day. Uh, David, the creative director over here, starts playing music, and then they do dances and things like that. So um, we had a partner called Juke Deck. Um, they're out in London, pretty awesome partner. They uh, have an AI music service. So w the songs that we give to the actors to dance with in the in the studio, we we match that tempo and the you know the climax and timing and things like that. Uh, and Juke Deck gives us back like an AI track, so it basically matches the movements in real time. So this is the one we did uh, Sunday yeah, night. That's so. pretty good. I like that. But. Want to see my dance moves? I've named them after AWS services. I call this move Dynamo DB. This one is called the Redshift. Next up is my favorite dance move of all time. Shit, I'm out of frame. Let me move back into place. Now back to my moves. This next dance move has been in beta for 10 years. I call it the Mechanical Turk. Uh, that's probably enough of that. Um, we had the little <laughs> thanks. We had the little uh, the, the little Turk joke in there too. But when you notice the the character is actually walking off the frame, so that's part of the the sensor development. Like w we can't see those uh, sensors anymore, so we actually lost that piece of data. So there's a lot of kind of you know uh, stuff we have to do to mine all the animation stuff when we get it back, but. Uh, I'll skip this. We went through this stuff yesterday too. So. All right, great. So, so after all this, you know, the, that pipeline's done. The characters are developed. They get moved into our system. So now we'll start kind of looking at the animation layers that are underneath them. So there's a, a bunch of these that choreograph together, really start to make sense, make the character come alive. But as you look at them individually, uh, they're not super exciting. So we start with this I idle pose. So the characters are always in this idle pose, right? So they have two different forms of idle. Basically, I'm, you know, I'm standing here. I have no like real action or emotion I need to portray or I'm going to be talking. So you, when you're talking, you start to get the little head movements and things like that. So they can switch between these two idle poses. So we provide the blends for those. If you look at this a little bit deeper, we have this like subtle um, additive animation that does, does the blinking and you know, keeps, keeps the idle something natural so they're not 
like uh, you know, robotically staring at the user, which gets a little creepy. And if, if you grab like just a stock character online, like a free character or something like that, that's usually what you get is a lot of this kind of basic animation, maybe some blinking, but you get these sort of dead eyes that are staring at you the whole time. So, um, so it's kind of the idle, the idle of micro movements on the face. So now if you look at, um, I, I can never pronounce it, saccades is I think how you pronounce it, but uh, the natural movement of your eyes, they sort of dart a little bit. So if you're having a conversation with somebody, your eyes might jump over there, or jump over there. And so we provide the character with some natural uh, movements. Every once in a while you'll see your eyes kind of twitch or look around, and it gives her more of a human uh, persona, so you can kind of converse without becoming uncomfortable. So um, this will scan the target. If, they're, if we tell them to have um, an interest system in something in the, scheme, the scene, they'll kind of do the same thing, but uh, focus more in that area. All right, so then the eyes being aimed, yeah. Um, so when it comes together, it looks better, right? So now if you just animate the eyes, uh, it also looks very unnatural. So there, that clearly looks not, not normal at all. But um, so the eyes, this is a whole separate layer just moving the eyes around, right? Now this has to be coordinated with the other pieces of the face. So on top of that, you know, we have to look at things like how do we also move the eyelids? So you can see it's already becoming a little bit more natural. The eyes are moving, now the eyelids are moving in conjunction with that, right? But there's still a lot of things that aren't happening on her face. Like that still kind of looks a little bit strange, right? Yeah, okay. So, so then you start to move the eyebrows. So now you have this, this third layer. And like now you're back to weirdness again, right? Like if I'm moving the eyes and the eyebrows and her face is stuck, uh, it's still a very sort of unnatural forced set of uh, layers. So, so you can already see like the eyes are moving, the, the lids are kind of dragging behind that, and the eyebrows are kind of moving in conjunction with that. So this is sort of a sweeping set of layers that are all working together but still looks a little bit strange. So now the eyes sort of lead, right? And then the rest starts to follow, and then now the head can start to move with it. And that's, that's where it starts to become a little bit more interesting. The character is still standing here, but now I can, you know, I can look, and then I can start to direct my attention to a certain point in 3D space. So, so that starts to look a lot better. Cool. So there's everything working together now. So the eyebrows are moving. The head's moving, the neck's moving. So if you put every, all these things together, now we have this character, this is Preston. Um, we have uh, him instructed to remain interested in the camera system. So this is what you would do if you had um, a, you know, a user engaged at, at a digital sign or something like that. You would say, there's the camera, here's the point in 3D space where I see that uh, face moving around. And then he would maintain eye contact through that. But you can see how everything kind of becomes natural. And eventually what we'll do is we'll have them take little stutter steps so they can turn all the way around, they can kind of follow you, you know, maybe at a comfortable pace or something like that too. So. Now on top of just all the natural movements, you have to start looking at how do we animate the lips. So Polly gives us speech mark data and it also gives us these um, uh, phone shapes basically. So these, these don't really match one-to-one -one with phonetic sounds. Um, I, I forgot the, like, like elephant juice and I love you is like the same phonem shape, but obviously they mean totally different things. I'm not sure what elephant juice is at all, but the, like that, those two things will give us the same phone shapes. So we can make a set of phone shapes that um, could be possible throughout any, anything basically that Polly can send us. So all of these are mapped again per character on top of all these different layers too. So now all of this has to work in conjunction. I have to be able to look, you know, move all these different parts of my body, but still if I get hit with an instruction to speak, I still have to be able to speak on top of that. So with this you know, single layer animation here, you're not able to do that, but the, the, the host system has all this built in. So 
So then we have these gesture layers. There's a couple different types of these that we'll talk about today too. Um, the gestures are basically um, something we can infer based on the SSML you're sending or something you can put inside your, your SSML that you're sending to Poly. And then they'll make these natural hand movements. I, I, don't, I still don't like that one. That's the chipmunk one. But the, um, I think that's like she's saying me or I or something like that. But um, it looks like a chipmunk to me. But the, um, the chipmunk gesture you could put in your own SSML if you want. Uh, or there's like high and wave and big and stuff like that too. So, so bring and this is what it looks like when I use all of my animation layers together. Cool. And this is what it looks like when I use all of my animation layers together. So now we've instructed her to wave instead of you know do the other one. So, all right. So authoring animations. Now, how do you how do you get these in the scene? So we're gonna we're gonna do a bunch of these live, but we'll kind of walk through. Um, some of the ways that they work. So emotes basically portray a type of emotion. This is you know part of it's a keyframe from the board emotion, right? He kind of like drops his head back and looks like that. Um, but you, you can do them just from from text. So basically, um, in S in SSML, uh, I can just type text and then run it in the scene, and the host will speak it. Hello, my name is Preston. Um, or I can add tagging or marks within that text. So this is where you would basically tell us where you want to place that gesture in the middle of that dialogue. And these can all be loaded in the editor. You can have sets of them on a character too, so you can drive different you know, conversations based on events. So he's got the wave gesture sort of injected in the middle of that text now. Hello, my name is Preston. That's going to get old. There's one more of these. but So there's also this auto-tagging. So if, if you don't really know how you want to gesture the text, um, we can do that for you. So you hit that little button on the right. We'll analyze it, and then we'll inject gestures based on kind of common words and common movements that humans would use when they're shouting. Hi there. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. My name is Preston. Okay, cool. So now if you look at all this stuff working together, he's got the, the point of interest system, and he can still kind of uh, – actually, th this one talks at the end, right? It's a little longer than – it doesn't talk. This duplicate. Okay. Okay. Anyways, so the animation system. This is another demo we're gonna do uh, after we get through. Just a couple more of these. Sorry. Um, all I've done to set up the scene is I dragged this mannequin character. This is imported from Maya. It's just an FBX file of a kind of a character you can use to set out a stage. Uh, it has a set of animations that it's capable of doing. So those animations got imported as well. So I'll show you kind of how that works. We took the character after the import and just dragged it into the scene. And I did that just because it you know probably takes 30 seconds. So it's not really the most exciting demo. Um, cool. So we're going to go through kind of a series of things here, and then um, uh, we have uh, one of our principals is in the room somewhere, and then David too, so we can answer kind of any kind of questions you guys might have. So, all right, let's try this. All right, so we start with um, we start with Preston. So we have a couple of his speech files we were talking about um, before. I can have multiple sort of um, tracks that he wants to talk about. He has his gesture one with the different marks, so he'll walk through basically all of his different um, gestures one at a time with, with the speaking tags. Um, he has like the intro speech, like the, hi, my name is Preston, something like that. Um, or, you know, we, we have this other one that we were messing with yesterday where we, we gave him a Boston accent. So um, so we can, we can use any of those, and we invoke them through the visual state machine. So uh, the state machine is now attached to the character object in the scene, so it's running in context of Preston. So any of the events that start here are going to react to the same, the same flow. So all, all we really have is basically start speaking, and when you're done, start speaking the next thing, right? So uh, 
If you watch here, it'll highlight green when you're on the actual node. Hello, my name is Preston. I am a Sumerian host. And then it'll skip over that. I can one. gesture while I speak. Some of my available gestures are you, defense, in, wave, one, generic B, yeah, we did this. and generic C. <laughs> so. So we'll actually throw these in there too. Like if, if you actually, if you give us really no gesturing throughout the entire thing, we'll start to kind of make subtle, subtle ones that aren't going to kind of mess up the flow, but we'll do that naturally too. Um, so we can swap this out pretty easily. So we're in the state machine here. When I start um, this, you know, on speech end event from the next one, I've, I've dragged that event over to here. It'll trigger the next node in the in the sequence, and then I can just pick pick which one we want him to say. So now he'll switch to that Hello. SSML that My has the, the Boston. I am a Sumerian host. Talk the con, let's grab a in the square. I'm feeling weird. All right. So, yeah, yeah, the third time it was it's less funny than the first two times. Um, so, so there's a couple. So that's kind of uh, pressed in there, and he had the point of interest system too. But we can do something a little bit more exciting with that um, after this one. So this is the FBX file we imported. Um, if you look at this character here, uh, we build out this animation tree for you. So. Basically, these are the three animations that came with that object when we imported it. So you can use any of these now in the state machine with really no extra work. So I can tick the character here, basically add a state machine component uh, right there. And then we're going to create a new behavior. We'll just call this animate. Um, and then we have, we have an action here, so we can just, why don't we make it like key press so it does something interesting. Not that key pressing is super interesting, but. Um, so there's the first one. We're going to add a second state. So after the key press, we want to invoke this uh, animation. So we'll just add the action to animate. So that says uh, set animation. The font's a little small. Um, and then on this node right here, we have to actually pick which animation. So we've gone and looked through the FBX file that was imported, and the animations are now just available in, in the state machine here. So with very little code, you can pick up something that was maybe done in, you know, done in Maya or done in, in Unity or something like that, move it into the system, and you can play it with really no, no code. So to wire these together, I'm just going to grab this, this event here, the on key pressed event, and I'm going to just wire it up to that. So let's see. Well, I forgot what, what key did I press. Oh, A. Okay. Let's see, so, so there you go. So that was the uh, uh, the cheer animation that came with the character uh, just running in the scene with a couple couple clicks. But oh, and that's interesting. Yeah, I, I have it just running, so it's not gonna. It has no like stop or don't do that anymore event. But all right, so that's kind of importing things from from outside the system. So just just to kind of show you that you don't really have to design and build within Sumerian. It provides you an easy way to publish things through WebGL, but you can use assets that you already have or you've purchased in, in previous projects. Okay, so let's do this, this live one. So um, we have a couple of things in the scene. We have uh, Christine, um, and we have this uh, really awesome cube. So the cube has a state machine. Uh, so the cube's gonna do a couple things. So um, the, the first thing to know is, actually let me back up for a second. On the top of our scene, we have a couple fields that you have to fill out to kind of get these connected to AWS backend services. So I ran this CloudFormation stack. This created a Cognito identity pool for me. I took the Cognito identity pool, and I put it right here. So now all my published scenes will invoke these credentials and they'll use them, them down the line. And those will show up on your bill just as they would uh, if you invoke those services directly. So you'll see something from Lambda, you'll see something from IoT. So that we're not, we're not doing anything like weird with the scene there. So that's basically we're invoking it on your behalf. 
So then the uh, AWS SDK, if you're using a back-level one for some reason, you can change the URL there, so, or a beta one. But, uh, so then, now in the scene, if I go back to the state machine for this cube, we have an event that, we, that basically starts flows from AWS. Uh, it's called the AWS SDK ready. So that just means that we've authenticated, uh, we're ready to start uh, invoking other actions. It's kind of a way to just make sure that, that things don't happen before they're ready to happen. So after, that's all that really does is start this flow. So this is basically saying SDK is ready, we're gonna move over here. So the next one to note, I just have this guy waiting two seconds. This isn't the greatest like engineering design pattern. I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna pull the back end instead of open a socket, but uh, it, it'll functionally work and it's more interesting to kind of watch it go in a circle. So. So we have this wait two seconds, and then we're gonna hit the IoT thing shadow. So um, if you're not familiar with IoT, I'll give you like a 30 second primer on that. So um, IoT is obviously um, about tracking things. You know, we can kind of consider virtual objects things. Um, so I've created this, this virtual object called Box, um, and it has what's called a shadow. So the way the IoT shadow works is it represents um, the last known state of the connected device. So as, as it was connected to the broker, um, to the WebSocket broker, and sent some information, that information stored. So that could be placement in 3D space, it could be the last speech they said, or where you are in a conversation, doesn't really matter. Um, but the shadow is now connected to AWS. Every time we go back to get it, we'll get that last known, that last known version. So we're gonna update that, and then we're gonna watch the, the scene sort of go. And this is, this is what we can try live if, if everyone has laptops. Um, Cool. So let me take a look at the script. We'll kind of show you how that works. So basically, um, we have this IoT data event uh, that's going to go out and get the thing shadow. This is straight from the AWS SDK. So this isn't like different code here than you would have typed anywhere else. So um, once we get that, we're going to take the payload and then parse out those fields. So we're looking for basically state reported, the Y rotation, uh, the X and Y translation. So we can move the box around like this, and we can also kind of spin it. So anything we change in the shadow will, will affect the box's placement in 3D space. So after that, um, basically we have this success path that's gonna go ahead and, and react to it, and then you have the fail path, which is gonna kind of do nothing right now. But um, So after we do get a successful event, we take those three fields that we set, the three fields that we picked up from the shadow, and we pass them to the next node um, uh, in the state machine, right? So. Now we're gonna take those and we're gonna set the translation in 3D space and move it around. So if we do this first. Cool. All right, so that was the last event. See how it kind of jumped there? So let's, I'm gonna go ahead and edit the shadow. You can do this through publishing too. So if you had another scene that moved, uh, when it moves it could publish an event and it would make it all the way through. So I'm just gonna change this to one which should be right in the, in the middle. There you go. So it's continuing to move. The scene's still connected. Um, but so if we look at kind of um, Christine here, she's she's not really paying attention to the object. So we can change that too, and then we'll we'll try this live. So we we're talking about the point of interest system before. So if I go to um, to Christine, she gets she has this point of interest field on the, on the, the topmost uh, of her component. So I can basically say I want her to look at an entity, and then I want to drag this box over to there, cool, I think I got it, we'll give it a shot. So now the box should be in the middle because the last time we sent it, so she's, she's gonna follow it around in 3D space, so yeah, she's got her, her sort of attention gaze there. Um, cool, so if we move it one more time and then, all right, perfect, okay, so, um, does anyone want to try this out? How many laptops do we have? 
more than like four or five? Okay, it will, it'll be interesting if there's more than a couple. Okay, so to publish a scene, I'll talk about that quickly, and then we'll tweet out this URL, and we should probably do it. I have a couple followers, so like I don't want to uh, go crazy here either. But um, so there's a publish there's a publish path. All this really does is um, give you, uh, you, you some basic customizations on how you want to wrap the scene up. So you can put it inside your own CSS. You can put it, you know, your own JavaScript in, in that on top of the whole scene. Um, and then we, we publish and handle the URL serving and things like that for you. So this is the URL, and I published this one already, so we don't have to wait for it. All right, so it's Kyle M. Uh, R-O-C-H-E. Uh, yeah, we, we good? So we'll see if that works. I'll try it here, too. OK, cool. So now this is running just in the browser. Um, now let's go ahead and, whoops. I gotta republish this guy. So I'll make him a little smaller so we can maybe see this. Okay. So why don't we move it down? Is anyone connected? Yeah, is it working? Yeah, okay. I was hoping for like huge, massive applause or something. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So here we'll try it a couple more times. So, so basically, all these scenes are now connected. So this is how this is how you would do multiplayer experiences, right? You, you can basically synchronize any of the sets of game objects among all the different people that are viewing them, and use that to sort of share context. So you could pass an object from one person to another, or you know have you know if you had a, like a some other sort of back and forth thing. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Ping pong would actually be a great idea for this, but. But yeah, in theory, you know, you could pass pass those things back and forth, and then also, you know, the the point of interest system to maintaining that sort of link. So uh, on the bottom right, uh, if you, you know, if anyone has, the, uh, we can probably leave this URL out for a little bit. But yeah, you can try that VR button if you're, you know, if you have an Oculus or something like that when you get back home. So, cool. Um, so I think we got about 15 minutes. Um, like I said, uh, we have uh, one of our principal engineers in the back and the creative director for the team, so we can take kind of any questions on, you know, architecture, how we built it. Um, you know, how, how might something work? Um, but we can open it up. There's a mic in the middle too if you want to do that, or we can just yell it out. So, hi. When are you kind of supporting uh, AR4? Uh, yeah, so very soon. So in the you know, weeks, not, not months. Yeah. Do you have any way of projects? So we, we did um, already partner with uh, Mapbox. So Mapbox has a demo um, that they built that'll build a 3D terrain based on a subsection of a map. So if you give it a bounding box on a 2D map, it'll take the mesh. We have a, a terrain geometry script that we can use. So it, it creates a whole uh, 3D terrain, and then it lays the satellite photo like draped on top. So it actually looks like a, a real subset of, of terrain. Um, past that, I mean, you know, you could build it on the fly. I, I, we don't have another one kind of baked in, though. But, but it works pretty well. So. Anybody else? No? Uh, so we were, we've been talking about that a lot today. So I think uh, some of the requests that we're hearing are that you know, more advanced users might want to procedurally build a scene. They might want to uh, you know, import a bunch of code and logic and things like that. Right now, uh, there's a scene format, but we haven't opened it up in a way that, um, that it would kind of make sense to do that. But it's definitely not, not something that we're like, um, against doing. I think we'd like to see some of the standards go to place first. So like, you know, support a scene from like a GLTF format or an import from you know, just an FBX that has more information with it. 
So we'll probably see a lot of those conversions and integrations happen before we just open it up. But, but yeah, it's very close to GLTF already. We just need to do a couple of things to keep it on the standard. So. Hi. Uh, well, I mean, I think initially we want to see the tool be capable of doing it, like the one we just showed you, so that customers and partners can build stuff like that on top. You know, we have partners that are successfully running like social VR, uh, you know, chat experiences and things like that um, on AWS. So we'd like to see that ecosystem sort of grow first. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't think um, I think we'll, we'll keep this in the tooling sort of level as long as possible. It shouldn't be an app, right? Like it's, this should be something that customers and partners can build their apps on top of. Yeah, so we're not, it's still in limited preview, so we haven't like published actual limits, and most of that is just because we haven't really stress tested it to that type of, you know, uh, level where we're comfortable publishing those numbers. But it's you know it's not it's not something you'd want to build you know like AAA video games with. That's not the intent. So, cool. Okay, well we'll stick around for a while if there's more questions. But yeah, thanks for coming on Friday. Thank you.